You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Then, um, and Sequoia is a, a place where there's like beautiful scenery, a lot of majestic um, just views, uh, and and we we like to explore nature. Um, but one thing, if you're not a survivalist, if you're not like um, someone who enjoys camping a lot, you got to be aware that when you go to these places. Um, there's wildlife, and uh, the last thing that you want to happen is to get lost in the woods. Um, so guess what happened to us? We got lost in the woods. Yeah. So we parked at the visitor center. We, we, uh, we hiked up this paved road uh, to Morro Rock, uh, the bottom of Morro Rock. We took this flight of stairs up. And we enjoyed some time up there, really nice, grand views of the canyon and the mountains. And then on our way back, I told my family, hey, there's a trail here that cuts through the forest, and we're going to see all these big trees at Sequoia National Park, right? So why don't we just cut through this trail, um, take the trail back to the car, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of have a little adventure here. So, so there was a trail. It was marked. And you could tell that people had walked on this trail, and there were patches of snow still because it had snowed a couple weeks back. And you could tell that people had walked through the snow. There were footprints through the snow. So we followed patches of uh, footprints, trailed, and back to footprints, and back to trail. And we're like, okay, um, why is it taking so long to get back to our car? (laughs) Um, We ended up at this sign that said, Bear Hill. And my wife um, freaked out a little bit, and she's like, I can't believe, probably in her head, she's thinking, I can't believe we didn't just take the regular route back to our car. Why'd you have to take us on this, you know, trail that leads to bears? Um, thank God there were no bears. I got hungry in the middle of the, in, in, so I, I took out my snacks, and she's like, put that back in your backpack. We do not want to attract the bears. So I was like... Are you kidding me? We're hungry here. Like, just have a snack. Um, but eventually we made it. It took twice as much time, and it, it was twice the distance, but it was great exercise. Um, so I think I lost weight, maybe. Um, but anyway, it was a reminder. Uh, it was like a metaphor for me, how, how oftentimes we try to follow our own path. Uh, we, we, we try to do things our own way, and uh, we realize that, um, you know, there's the right way to go, and you can easily get sidetracked, you can easily get distracted, you can easily follow some other path that leads the wrong direction. And so when I took out my, my phone, I was like, okay, GPS, you better work, and it did, thank God, and it pointed us in the right direction. It, got, it, it corrected our course back to where we were supposed to go. And, and the way I think about it is that's the Word of God, right? Scripture is our course correction. We can always go back to Scripture to find out, um, is this really God's way? Is this uh, decision that I'm going to make going to lead me down the wrong path? Is this way of thinking going to lead me down uh, you know, to destruction or to life? And so God reminds us every Sunday, right, let's go back to his word. Let's keep on following him. Let, let him correct your course. And so that's what we're going to do throughout this series, uh, Can I Ask That? Um, there's a lot of questions that we might have about God and faith. 
um, and the Bible. And so we, we want to address some of those questions. So if you have any questions that you want our pastoral team to address uh, for the next couple of months, feel free to send those questions in. We'll do our best to accommodate those questions, to try to come up with uh, a sermon or, or a teaching that would help address those questions. But what we want to do is make sure we connect all the issues, all the questions you have with our guide, with Scripture, with God's Word. Um, so that's what we're going to do in the next couple of months. We've teased this out over the last couple of months, but uh, we're going to do uh, two months straight of questions, hard questions, challenging questions about God and faith. So today, the question I want to pose to you is this. Can I do something so bad that God won't forgive me? Can I do something so bad God won't forgive me? Listen to this story about a young person named Phil. I'm making the story up. It could be any one of our, uh, our young people there in our youth group. But this is Phil. He was a high school kid. He was a normal, typical teenager. He didn't get into trouble. Um, he, he was a nice kid. He was smart. And at one time, his friend Levi invited Phil to youth camp. Did anyone go to youth camp here? Any of you, uh, the young people are over there. But okay, so I preached this like at Norwalk and there were so many young people here. But so he went to youth camp and at youth camp, if you've ever been to a youth camp, they're awesome. You, you, you're just saturated in the presence of God. And so Phil went to youth camp. He received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And after camp, Phil kept coming to church. He loved church. He loved hanging out with youth group. Of course, uh, the guys were cool and the girls were cute. That's why he kept coming to youth group, right? But then after spring break, Pastor Mike noticed that Phil wasn't showing up to youth group anymore. And so some of the, the, the younger kids and, and Pastor Mike, they're trying to follow up. They're trying to, you know, direct message him on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Maybe not Facebook. Okay, but so Phil never responded. He, he, he was kind of away, uh, and so Mike asked Phil's friend Levi, hey, what's going on? Where's Levi? What, I mean, where's Phil? What's going on? Um, and then Levi told Pastor Mike, look, Phil's not coming back to church anymore. Uh, and he told me that during spring break, he kind of hung out with his friends, and they partied a lot, they did drugs, they did alcohol, um, and things got out of control. So Phil, you know, he ended up getting arrested, and he got into big trouble. So um, he kind of feels guilty that if he ever showed up his, in church, um, all the people would judge him. And so he doesn't think he, he should be at church anymore. And so Pastor Mike was like, man, that's too bad. I, I wish I could talk to him. Um, and so meanwhile, Phil, he had this experience at camp. He, he, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Um, and he knew that maybe he should go back to church, but he was so guilty inside. He didn't want uh, to attract any attention, negative attention on himself. So he's like, man, I can't go to church anymore. Uh, but he did remember Pastor Mike saying, look, we got to read our Bible, we got to pray, we got to connect with God. And so he flipped his Bible open to 1 John uh, 3, 9, and he read this uh, verse, sorry. He read this verse, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin 
and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. And so after reading this passage, Phil felt defeated. He said, man, the Bible tells me there's no hope. The Bible tells me I've sinned, I've messed up, and I'm no longer a child of God, so I can't go back to church. And so from that point on, Phil took another trail. He went the wrong direction. He made poor choices. And then one day he ran into Pastor Mike at Starbucks, and Pastor Mike told him, hey, you know what, Phil? You can always come back. No matter what you've done, no matter what bad things have happened in your life since camp, God is real, Jesus is real, your experience was real, and we would welcome you back with open arms. And at that point, Phil felt genuinely cared for, but he couldn't help get this message out of his mind that there's no way God could ever take me back. Could you, could you relate to that after doing something um, sinful? Could you relate to this thought that there's no way God could ever take me back? You see, Phil's response was to hide in his shame. He didn't want to go back to church. He didn't want to talk to the people that cared about him, that could help him out of his shame. Phil's dad rejected him, saying, you're no good, you're worthless. And so he probably viewed God that same way, that God couldn't accept him anymore. He was unforgivable. So have you ever thought that you were beyond redemption? Have you ever felt unforgivable? Maybe there's someone at church that you might, we might judge and think, I can't believe that person is here. Do you know what they've done? Now, none of us do that because we're not judgy, right? But sometimes people feel that when they come to church, they're going to get judged as a sinner. Now, how many of us here have sinned since Easter Sunday last week? Anybody? Lying's a sin? Okay. So anyone sinned since last Sunday? It's too many sinners in here. What's going on? What's going on? But here's the good news. Christ offers us forgiveness no matter what we've done. No matter what you've done. You see, our sins cannot erase, it cannot delete, it cannot undo what Christ did on the cross. It's what Christ did on the cross that erases all our sins. And so Phil, he read this one verse out of context, and he jumped to this conclusion that there's no way God could ever forgive me. There's no way I'm a child of God because I messed up. Now, it would have helped if Phil could ask questions, if he felt free to ask questions. And that's what we're trying to get across for you, for, for you as parents, to allow your students, your young people, your children to come up to you and ask questions. And so maybe you won't have the answer. And we don't always have the answer right away, but we can find the answer. We can say, look, I want to help you understand God more, the scriptures more. And so let me find that answer for you. Because what Phil and what all these young people here need to learn and need to know is that God is always a God of mercy and grace. Does it mean that sin will go unpunished? No, there's consequences to all our sins. 
There's damages that are done when we sin. But God has made it his mission to destroy sin. He's made a way for us to overcome sin through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was sinless. He never made a mistake. But all of us have sinned. The Greek word for sin is hamartia. Say hamartia. It means to miss the mark. It's a word that's borrowed from archery. Anyone here like to do archery? It's when an archer shoots the arrow and hits the target. But if he misses the target, it's hamartia. He's off the mark. He's missed it. And so with our sins, God has set the mark. And oftentimes we fall short of that mark, of that standard. And so in the Garden of Eden, remember, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. They missed the mark. And they sinned against God. And as a result, every human being that ever came into existence after them has this sin nature, a nature that opposes the way of God. The Bible tells us it's clear. In 1 Kings 8.46, there's no one who does not sin. Psalm 14.3, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're all guilty before God and the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But thank God he doesn't bring death right away. He didn't bring the death penalty on Adam and Eve when they first sinned. But God made a way for us to be set free from the penalty of sin. In the Old Testament, that way was through the sacrifice of animals, a substitute for the sinner. So they would sacrifice a lamb, they would burn it on an altar as a way to make things right with God, to atone for their sins, to receive the forgiveness for their sins. In the New Testament, God provides the lamb, the perfect sacrifice. John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it was Jesus' perfect sacrifice that is all we need to cover our sins. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It doesn't mean that, that, that um, Jesus died uh, to, to forgive just your one sin. He died to forgive you and I for all the wrongs we've done in our past, in our present, and in our future. Only Jesus can do that. So if you put your trust in Jesus that he will forgive you of your sin. He will forgive you of your sins from the past, in the present, and for all the future. Salvation happens in three tenses. In the past, we call this justification. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin. In the present, we call this sanctification. We are being saved right now from the power of sin. And in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's glorification. So 
So Jesus saved us past, present, and future. And Paul says in Romans 8, 1 to 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Christ, you've made a decision for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then you have been justified, you have been sanctified, and you will be glorified. There's no condemnation, no hellfire, no brimstone, no damnation, no eternal punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, do we sin every day? I do. So what's up with that, Christians? Why? Why do we struggle through sins every day? Well, every day we have a choice, right? We wake up. We don't wake up saying, you know what, God, I think I'm going to sin today. No, we, we wake up and we got to ask God, look, I'm going to go through all the t- same temptations that I went through before I became a believer. And it's up to you, Jesus, to help me, to sanctify me, to purify me, to save me from the power of sin in my life so that I can live today without sin. The Bible talks about this war that's waging inside of us. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We got some time between now and when Jesus comes. I don't know how long that is, but between now and when Jesus comes, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to struggle with sin. But when we do mess up and when we do make mistakes, the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? So when you and I sin as Christians, it doesn't affect our standing before God. It doesn't erase anything that Jesus did for us. We're still saved. We're still forgiven. We might be disciplined. We might face consequences for our sins. And those sins might have a negative effect on other people. But God is faithful to forgive us again and again. Every time we confess, every time we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what if I keep on sinning? Doesn't that just mean God's going to be more gracious and merciful to me? Doesn't that mean God's going to keep forgiving me? Well, yeah, but why should we keep on sinning? Romans uh, 6, 1 to 2, first of all, Romans 5 at the end, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. But Paul says here, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So even though as Christians we still sin, we shouldn't think that it's okay to keep on sinning. We shouldn't think that God's just going to keep forgiving me. I'm just going to go ahead and sin. No, what, 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 the Bible is talking about is um, when we read 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. It's really saying whoever has been born of God does not continue to sin. We don't have this mindset of rebelling against God. For his seed remains in him and he cannot 
continue to sin because he's been born of God. It doesn't say Christians will never sin again. It says Christians don't have this mindset that they're going to rebel against God and keep practicing a sin. Because if you keep rebelling against God, if you keep sinning and saying, I don't, I don't want God's forgiveness, then i got to question whether or not you really are trusting in Jesus Christ. So we got to ask ourselves, am I really born of God? Am I following God? Am I stuck in this pattern of sin because I don't care about God or because I just, I'm just struggling and I need God to, 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 to purify me? So there's two decisions we can make. We can go our own way or we can get corrected back to God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Don't deny your sin. Don't pretend it's not there because the Bible says the truth is not in you. So confess. Could you tell that to your neighbor? Confess your sins and he will forgive you. But pastor, are you sure that Christ can forgive all our sins? What about the really bad ones? Like what? Adultery? Murder? Someone in the Bible committed both of these. King David, remember him? King David, the man after God's own heart, committed both adultery and murder. He slept with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and then when she got pregnant, tried to cover it up by orchestrating Uriah's death in battle. But then King David repented. He said in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David asked for forgiveness and God forgave. What about the Apostle Paul? Great man of God. Do you know he was a murderer too? Do you know before he was Paul, the great apostle, he went by the name Saul. He was a religious leader. And in Acts chapter 7, we read about Saul being around and approving the death, the stoning of Stephen. And Saul, he was on a mission to destroy the early church. He went from house to house dragging all these Christian men and women who were following Jesus, he was dragging them off to prison. But one day, when Paul was on his way to Damascus to, 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 to terrorize the early church, God prevented him. He stopped him in his tracks, and he changed his life. And from that point on, Paul became a follower of Jesus. And instead of um, destroying Christianity, Paul became the main driving force in spreading the gospel across the ancient world. Look what Paul says about his own sinfulness. Sorry, I think these are out of order. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. 
Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He called himself the worst of sinners. But God showed mercy on him to show us that Christ can have mercy on anyone. Is there anyone that's beyond the reach of Christ's forgiveness and mercy? Anyone that God cannot forgive? Nobody. Paul knew he had a very evil past. He knew all the atrocities he did. But Paul clearly understood the forgiveness of God. So no matter what you've done, there's no offense that can separate you from the opportunity to receive God's love and forgiveness. Jesus' power over sin is greater than any mistake we could ever make. Do you believe that? But pastor, what if I commit the unpardonable sin? You heard of that? The unforgivable sin? There's one sin that Jesus refers to as being unforgivable. It's in Mark 3, 28 to 29. A few months back, I, I was at the Norwalk youth group, and I, I, one of the young people came up to me and asked me, Pastor, I think I... I think I committed the unpardonable sin. I'm scared. And I asked him, what is the unpardonable sin? And he correctly answered, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So I looked at him, I'm like, okay, um, why do you think that you have probably crossed the line into committing the unpardonable sin? And he looked at me, he was confused. He was like, that's what I want to know. Like, I think blasphemy means cursing, and I curse a lot. I swear a lot. I use a lot of profanity. Does that mean I've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And I looked in his eyes, and I said, Brother, you did not commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. God can forgive you of your mouth, right? It's not just about cursing not just about swearing, because if it was, how many of us would have committed the unpardonable sin? You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> if he said bad words, if he used swear words, right, if he's uttered profanity, it doesn't mean he's committed an unforgivable sin. Because what is the unforgivable sin? What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Mark 3, 28 to 29. Let me see if it's here. Oh, there it is. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but when it, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. In the context of this passage, the unpardonable sin refers to Jesus getting accused of, you, uh, of using the power of demons. So they attributed Jesus' miracles and his good deeds and his, 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 his wonders to the work of Satan. 
And so when we, or if someone were to say, hey, that's that, that, that miracle, the thing that Jesus has done in your life, no, that's not it. That's, that's Satan's, Satan at work. And if someone continually rejects the, what God has done, no, the cross, the cross, that's Satan's work. If someone continues to reject what Christ has done and attributes that work to Satan, to evil, they're going down that road where they have closed their heart off to the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus. And the fact that you're sitting here today and you might be struggling with a sin and you think, man, I think Jesus, I need Jesus. That tells me that you are not going down the road of committing the unpardonable sin. Because what does the Bible tell us if we confess our sins? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does anyone here need to be forgiven today? Forgiveness is found exclusively in Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. So to reject Jesus today and to reject him over and over and over again your trail is leading you down the road of destruction. Course correct. Get on the right trail. Christ offers forgiveness and mercy free for you today. There's three ways we can respond to our sin. This is based on Genesis 3. Ever since the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve messed up, they responded three ways. This is a human response. There's a natural response in your notes. One, we hide our guilt. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, what did they do? They hid from God. They hid because they're guilty. The Lord wants us to come out of hiding. God came to the Garden of Eden, remember, and he calls out, Adam, where are you? He knew they were there. They couldn't play hide-and-seek with God. But he wanted them to know, look, I still want to have a relationship with you. You don't have to hide. You don't have to run away from me. Second way we respond to sin is we cover up our shame. What did Adam and Eve do? They realized they were what? Naked. And so they covered themselves with fig leaves. One of the ways we deal with sin is to cover it up. Maybe we, some of us actually deal with sin by doing more stuff at church. We do more ministry so that people won't know how messed up we really are. We serve more. We're like, man, as, as long as I keep on, you know, helping out, you know, I'll pick up the trash here and there, uh, I'll be an usher, a greeter, I'll serve in children's and youth ministry, I'll do parking ministry, I'll do all these things. Uh, so people would think, oh, that's a good Christian who loves church. But oftentimes, or sometimes, we're just covering something up. We're trying to cover up our shame. The Lord wants us, the Lord wants to be the one to cover our sins with forgiveness. Another way we cover or we respond to sin is we blame others. Remember Adam and Eve? What did Adam do when um, God questioned him? What happened? Well, Eve 
started off and said, the serpent made me do it. Um, sorry, Adam started off by saying, the woman made me do it. And then Eve said, blamed the serpent. And we, we respond the same way. What's going on? Why, are you, why did you sin? Well, it's my upbringing. It's my parents' fault. Um, it's, it's someone at church hurt me. Someone at church, you know, they, they didn't treat me right. I can't help it. It's the neighborhood I live in. It's the environment I live in. Can't help it, right? We blame others, but God wants us to confess. God wants us to repent. God wants us to receive forgiveness. Those are the three natural responses to sin. Look at the heavenly response to sin. We hide our guilt, but God calls us to come out of hiding. We cover our shame, but God says, I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to be the one to clothe you in righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, not our own. We blame others, but God placed the penalty of sin on his perfect son. That's how God responds to our sin. How are you going to respond to sin today? Would you stand with me and worship team, you can come forward. There's one more story I want to share. There was a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. The religious leaders brought her in front of Jesus and said, look, Jesus, the law of Moses commands us. She has to die. We have to stone her. What do you have to say about that, Jesus? And Jesus begins to write something on the ground with his finger. And he tells the religious leaders and all her accusers, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And all of her accusers began to leave until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. No one's here. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Can Christ forgive your sins today? Absolutely, my friends. Are you beyond his mercy and his love? No. You're right where he wants you to be. So today you can experience victory over your sin. Today we can confess our sins and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And today if we've been saved and we're struggling with sin, today we can say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to deliver me from the grip of sin in my life. And we can live from this moment on with the assurance that we are forgiven and that we are children of God. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're on the fence, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you today to, to pray this prayer and to receive Christ in your life. 
pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. I receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. I receive your free gift of salvation. I receive your forgiveness for all my sins, past, present, and future. I receive your Holy Spirit to help me each and every day. So help me, Lord, to follow you all the days of my life. And from now on, I will live in victory over my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.